Amy Jo True was driving out to the country. She had directions to a specific farm she was supposed to reach, somewhere Agent Hickman had gone. She had received the directions back at her office after returning from the fingerprints lab. Hickman had called while she was out and left the information with the receptionist. He had said it was urgent and asked her to hurry. So she was, driving her coupe as fast as she could while still catching every turn. The sun was nearing the horizon, so it was occasionally blinding her while she headed west. It was odd to have such an important clue out away from the city. It seemed to her that she was carrying the more important information inside the manila envelope that was rattling around in her passenger seat. Regardless, A.J. was happy to be bringing this out to him. She wanted to warn Hickman not to return to his office. His boss, or rather, the man posing as his boss, was an imposter. He may even be the hangman. He was going to need to figure out some way to turn him in. A.J. reached the area of the farm, but before getting to the house, she spotted his car along the side of the road, and his silhouette out on the field. The setting sun was behind him, so she could make out his shadow, but she knew by the sight that it was him. The fresh yet acrid smells of the country blew in her nostrils as soon as she exited the car. Somewhere in the distance, a crop duster was finishing the day's work. A.J. began to trudge across the uneven dirt. She always wore walking shoes, but the female version of walking shoes was very different from those of the male counterpart, and always made hikes like this far more uncomfortable. God forbid if she should have to run in them. About halfway to Hickman, she could make out more than just shadow, so she began waving to him. He didn't react. Three-quarters of the way, she shouted a little louder, scolding him for not answering. He still did not respond. About 50 feet from him, she could tell why. Sprawled out across a frame like a scarecrow, Frank Hickman was held up with rope. Blood spatter on his upper left chest revealed a gunshot wound, and his half-opened eyes revealed that it was fatal. A.J. let out a brief scream and held her gaping mouth in shock. Realizing her own danger, she looked around quickly. There was no other shape in the field. But she heard a sound in the air. Glancing up in the distance, she spotted a crop duster biplane turn in her direction. It was now beelining toward her open, exposed position. Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Today we continue the gangbusters adventure, Death in Spades. The module is by Tracy Ray Hickman, and the story is game-mastered and written by Jeff MacArthur. Dylan Griebel had an answering service who took messages for him when he was away. It wasn't as good as having your own receptionist, but it was cheaper just what he could afford. When he called in today, he got a message stating that someone had called him regarding a hot tip he would need to follow up that evening. The message said that the unidentified caller would meet him inside the Forsyth building at 6 p.m. sharp. Dylan called the Herald Examiner to reach AJ. He wanted to tell her what he'd learned about the hangman, and she could tag along with him at the Forsyth building. He could use her input. He reached someone who told him that AJ had left to check out a lead. Dylan said that if she got back before 6 to tell her that she should try to meet him at the Forsyth building. The Forsyth building, the voice said. What, are you going to watch them demolish it? What? Dylan asked. The city is scheduled to demolish it today. I hope you weren't planning to do business there. Every business inside it has been closed for months. Dylan thought for a moment about why he was following that lead. About who had probably left the message. He asked for details about why AJ had left and they could only tell him that she was following a lead. Dylan's blood ran cold. Tell me exactly where she was going, he demanded. 
Every step was torture, but A.J. knew she couldn't stop. Stopping meant death. Pain is temporary, she kept thinking. Stopping would be forever. But it didn't stop her legs from wanting to buckle. She was bobbling over uneven ground. Her heels were landing on ridges and her toes were sinking into slices in the mud. She knew that she couldn't make it all the way to the car, so she had found the largest rise of earth and sprinted for that. She had just made it, diving headfirst, as some of the mud shoveled into her mouth. It was worth it as the bullet thudded into the opposite side of the ground, then sprinkled behind her. She felt the mud tap into her cheek, with every bullet thudding into the opposite side of her cover. She spat out the dirt and looked up over the mound to search for another rise to hide behind, this time from the opposite side, as the plane would be coming around for another pass from the other direction. There wasn't much, and there was no general cover. In the middle of summer, this field would be covered in tall crops, but the harvest had been made. There was a wheat field nearby that hadn't yet been cut, but it was nowhere near the car, her only true hope of escape. So she forced herself up despite the screams of pain from her feet, and she dashed for the next slight rise. She could hear the plane engine getting louder, like a beast roaring with excitement. Coming closer, she realized that the rise in the ground wasn't enough, but a dip in the ground to the right she hadn't expected might just be big enough. She dropped into it and hugged the ground the way Dylan had described doing during the Great War. The rattle of the machine guns fired and the bullets fell like rain all around her. She had survived again. Looking up, she determined that there would be three more runs like this before she reached the car. She might be able to make it. AJ stood again and began to run, scanning the ground as she went for somewhere to hide. She spotted a steep drift with some remaining stalks left over from the crop, and she made for it full speed. Looking up again, she determined that there would be three more runs like these before she reached her car. She might be able to make it. AJ stood again and began to run, scanning the ground as she went for somewhere to hide. She spotted a steep drift with some remaining stalks left over from the crop, and she made for it at full speed. She reached it with a suspiciously large amount of time remaining. The plane didn't go after her this time. It went after her car. She watched with horror as it exploded. Tears welled up. Now there was no escape. If she stayed where she was, they'd come at her from another angle. There was Hickman's car, but if they killed him, they probably set a trap in it or damaged the engine. That would just make her an easier target. The only possibility was the remaining crops that hadn't been harvested. They were a long way off, but she might just make it. The biplane might even miss one or two times if she just kept sprinting. It couldn't be easy to hit something running on the ground when you're moving so fast. Could it? She went for it, dashing as fast as she could directly for the tall crops. The biplane was coming around at a perpendicular angle to her. Perfect. That would have the lowest chance to hit. She gained a little more time when the plane realized its difficult course and made a correction so its angle would have a better chance of hitting her. Her shoe got stuck in a root. Hopping, she removed it and her other shoe and just started running barefoot. Now every step felt the bits of roots poking skyward like tiny nails. But it was this or death, she kept reminding herself. The biplane hovered in close. The roar of the engine quieted. Not as good a sign as one might think. It meant they were slowing to get a good shot. She considered how close the engine was in comparison to when it opened fire earlier. Just before it did this time, she cut sharply to the right, sprinting as fast as she could. It was just in time. The bullets rattled into the ground straight like carpet being rolled out. It was a nice maneuver, but one she wouldn't be able to do much more. Her chest was heaving, and no matter how much she had a will to live, her body might not be able to perform what she wanted it to do. She stumbled and slowed, coughing, tears dropping from her face as she knew somewhere, deep inside her, what her fate was now.
Then an odd sound rang out in the evening sky. A car horn. AJ's head shot up. Dylan's battered old roadster. She sometimes wondered how it still ran. But right now, it was the most welcome sight in the world. The car pulled off to the side of the road, but did not dare drive into the dirt. Getting stuck would only add to their problems. Instead, Dylan got out, calmly waved her to come, and opened the back door. AJ hobbled toward him as best she could. Her knees were on fire. Her leg muscles ached, but she willed every step. The biplane swerved around and now made the roadster its target, angling directly toward it. Dylan eyed it, gauged its speed in the wind direction. He opened the back door and pulled out his rifle, then carefully aimed it. He placed it in his sights, raised it a little and adjusted for the wind, then fired while it was still just out of range. The plane was moving fast enough that it moved into range while the bullet was still in the air. They were therefore smoking before the gunner had begun to fire, and they had to swerve off. Dylan tossed the gun in the back seat and opened the passenger door for AJ. She used every bit of reserve energy to tumble into the seat. He reached over her and closed it, then turned and raced away. The plane took chase. It was faster and could overcome them, so Dylan swerved from side to side, creating a dust cloud behind them. Unable to see where they were, the gunner guessed, and the shots dribbled beside them. But Dylan was hugging the side of the road so hard he was almost off of it. Once it was passed, he kicked the gas to the ground and raced away. They were soon inside of the neighboring farm, and the plane flew away so as not to be spotted by them. Vinny had managed to find an excuse to go to the Mancusi mansion. Spending some of the information he had gained from Detective Nelson, he got in under the guise of reporting information. By telling each person he came across that he was going to meet with someone else, he got to wander the halls and explore the rooms. Getting into Mancusi's old office was proving to be harder than Vinny thought because Moose had quickly turned it into his own office. Other rooms didn't seem to have much to offer. Then Vinny realized the best option. Mancusi's accountant, Saul Josephs. He kept an office inside the house near the front, and Moose was keeping him on. Vinny hadn't seen Saul and he was often out. Many of someone's skeletons in the closet could be found through their accountants so his office should have some of the easiest dirt to find on anybody. Vinny strolled toward the office, watching around him as he did. He casually peered inside, and when he was certain the coast was clear, he slipped inside and pulled the door enough that it was almost closed. But there was still a crack in it so he could hear anyone approaching. He then went about checking the desk and every shelf and drawer for anything he could on Moose. He didn't find anything out of order about the money, at least that he could tell. Vinny wasn't much into numbers but it seemed as though everything was covered up very well. However, he did find information about Joseph's daughter. There were medical receipts and a prognosis from a doctor stating that she had been beaten by a large man. Vinny had heard something about this, but he didn't realize how severe it had been. Moose had nearly killed the young lady. He had messed up her face for good. Worse yet, from the look of a couple letters stashed away, Mancusi had pressured Joseph's into letting Moose date his daughter by force. The assault was a start. A host of domestic attacks were probably close behind. He pocketed the receipts and any other relevant information regarding Moose's abuse. Vinny would show Detective Nelson the receipts and give him the names of the doctors so he could get witnesses. The door squeaked open. Vinny stood up straight and started to walk out like it was normal. One of Moose's thugs stood there, confused. You seen Saul? Vinny asked him. No, the man said, almost like a question. Oh, Vinny said, strolling toward the door. What are you doing in his office? The man asked. Looking for him, just like you. 
The man stared at Finney like he had done something wrong, but not with the wisdom in his eyes that implied that he knew why he was actually there. So Finney felt confident enough to simply walk past him and out the front door. As he headed across the walkway to the circular driveway, he glanced over his shoulder. He spotted Moose at the large windows of the office on the third floor staring down at him. His face was obscured by the heavy smoke of the cigar, so Vinny could not quite make out his expression. Regardless of what it was, Vinny wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible without quickening his pace. Every aspect of his movements felt like he needed to second-guess them for fear that they would give him away. His shoulders tensed as he expected to feel a bullet slice through them. Vinny sighed with relief when he reached the car. It was the one place he allowed himself to move quickly, throwing open the door and jumping in. He told himself it looked stylish and everyone would think it was just showing off. The problem was that it was now harder to reach into his pocket and pull out his keys. When he did, his hand was shaking so hard he had difficulty pulling them up to the ignition. His swift departure was stalling as he sat in the car quietly now. As the key went into the ignition, he had a sudden thought. What if they had put an explosive in the engine? Should he check? Doing so would expose that he was suspicious, and they would start asking him why. What reason does he have for being suspicious? He was damned either way. So he closed his eyes, gritted his teeth, and turned the key. The engine started with a roar. He let out a forceful sigh. Looking out the window, he saw a couple people near the front door staring at him. Upstairs, Moose was still watching him. He pulled the scar out of his mouth and waved slightly with a grin. It was the most unsettling thing yet. Vinny meekly waved back, put the car into gear, and began to drive. He made it out of the driveway and onto the winding road, and as soon as he was past the front gate, he hit the gas, increasing the space between himself and the mansion as fast as possible. The road soon began to dip down the hill. The lights of the city were inviting for Vinny. Witnesses. He knew from experience that no one in the syndicate wanted to do anything where they could be seen. So despite the sharp turns, he let the car speed up a bit. He used to be the getaway driver, so he could make them. Then came one of the sharper turns, so he moved his foot to the left to slow down. The brake pushed downward and kept going, all the way to the floor. The car didn't slow. He pumped it again to make sure. Nothing. He knew immediately what they had done. Then he swerved sharply to make the turn. The far tires scraped the dirt. Trees along the side of the road flew right by his window. He straightened out along the road, now pulling his foot off all the pedals. But the grade increased his speed regardless, and the next bend was coming up fast. He started into the turn early, cutting across the dirt on the inner side to come into the turn at an angle. He made it, but then the next turn came up right away, and he was still making the last one. He yanked the wheel all the way to the opposite side, but he felt the top of the car pulling outward. He was going to flip, so he straightened out a little and tried to make the turn a little wider. It wasn't going to be enough. So rather than flipping over, he chose to steer off the road and down the hill. The grade was steeper, but the path bumpier. So his speed remained the same as he was jostled violently, barely keeping his hands on the steering wheel. He was slaloming around the trees with greater ease than when he had been making the turns, and he was glad at the prospect that he'd reached the bottom faster. But then the wheels were thrown into the air after a bump, and he had no traction. The vehicle arched in the air for a moment, then flew back down to earth and directly into a tree. This has been a presentation of RPG Storytime Gangbusters, a playthrough of Death and Spades by Tracy Hickman. Tune in next time to hear the conclusion of the story. Subscribe to the channel to hear more tales of RPG games, 
or check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. You can also read books by the writer and game master of these stories by going to bandwagononline.com. We hope you enjoyed it, and happy gaming, everybody. <laughs>